Welcome to episode nine. Thank you guys for joining. Today I sit down with Mauricio Guerrero, who's a six-time Grammy award-winning mixing engineer and producer. A little bit about Mauricio. He was born in Santiago, Chile. He's worked with Humberto Catica, Gloria Estefan, Phil Collins, Shakira, Placido Domingo, Jose Feliciano, Rafael, Mijares, Lucero, and a host of other Latin artists. In 1997, he won his first Grammy for his work on Luis Miguel's Romances album. He received a second Grammy for Gloria Estefan's Alma Caribeña CD, and the same year he received a third Grammy for Shakira's MTV Unplugged CD. Once again, in 2005, Mauricio was called to work with Shakira on Fijacion Oral Volume 1 and received two additional Grammys in 2006. One of these two awards is his most prized Grammy for Best Engineered Recording. Mauricio has worked with legendary songwriter and producer Rudy Perez on projects that range from Beyonce to Los Temerarios. During this time, Rudy asked him to produce Beyonce vocals in Spanish for a Michelle Obama campaign to fight child obesity called Let's Move. He also was called to produce vocals in Spanish for Natalie Cole for a CD she was later to release. In the summer of 2012, Mauricio had the honor of being a part of Maxime Vengerov's latest CD recording in Glenn, Switzerland. Maxime is arguably one of the top three violin players in the world. This same year, he received his sixth Grammy for his work on Pepe Aguilar's Más de un Camino. Mauricio reunited with one of his mentors, Emilio Estefan Jr., and together they have been working on a number of new projects that will be coming out in the next few months with artists like Italian tennis trio Il Volo, Gloria Estefan, and many more to come. Currently, Mauricio is developing a space entertainment company that will revolutionize both the space and entertainment industry by producing various first-in-history events that will combine music and cutting-edge technology. These events will capture the attention of the masses and his aim is to create awareness of the fragility of our planet and the urgency to do something before it's too late. Throughout the podcast, Mauricio and I talk about uh, his upbringing, his experience in the music industry, what it takes to produce and mix a Grammy Award winning record, and then the advice that he has also for those that are trying to aspire to be a producer or a mixing engineer at the highest. If you're listening via Spotify, I invite you to follow Sir Kevin Says. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can show your support by subscribing and rating the show five stars. Alternatively, you can watch the video version of this and every other episode on my YouTube channel, Kevin Michael Chong, or visit my website, www.sirkevinchong.com and view or listen to them that way. Without further ado, episode number nine. Welcome to Sir Kevin Says, episode number nine. Today, I am uh, with Mauricio Guerrero. Mauricio is a Grammy Award winning producer. Mauricio, how are you doing? Pretty good, thank you. Yeah? Everything well? Everything great. What are you working on these days? Uh, well, I just finished uh, a project. Uh, it's the next Gloria Stefan's album. Nice. And uh, I'm getting ready to start working on uh, The Wailers. Okay. So, awesome. Uh, yeah. Nice. Now, Mauricio... Uh, how did the story start for you? You were born in Chile. Uh, Chile, okay. Yeah. Yes. When did you know you wanted to become a producer? Well, it's a it's a long journey. We got we got the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, I mean, I remember I was a little kid, and, and I remember I was grounded for a summer. I wasn't 
uh, well-behaved kid back okay. then. <laughs> so I didn't have anything to do. So I, my only thing to do was to grab a guitar and learn how to play. So that was my, my summer. And uh, after that, um, I started learning how to play drums. And then little by little, music was part of my life without even knowing it. Yeah. And uh, none in, nobody in my family are musically, you know, inclined. They, they're, I mean, they like music, but my mom used to be, uh, I mean, she, my grandfather made her study classical piano. Okay. She went through the whole conservatory program. She graduated from the conservatory as a um, pianist, I guess. Yeah. And the day she graduated, she stopped playing. Because mm. she, I mean, it wasn't in her. It was, she was, I mean, she was made to. Yeah, yeah. By my grandfather. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> we had a piano at home and nobody touched it. <laughs> you know, so since I was a kid, I started kind of like putting my hands into instruments and, and just experimenting. And, and um, when, uh, when I was about to finish high school, um, because I was good at math and uh, physics, the counselors said, uh, you know what, you have to be an engineer. Mm. So I went to engineering school and I started studying civil engineering. And I studied for three years. I finished my third year. And while I was studying engineering, I mean, more and more, I was like, I mean, regretting the fact that I was studying engineering. <laughs> and uh, I was teaching math and physics to like architecture students, okay. stuff like that. And all the money I made, I would invest it into instruments. So I had a rehearsal room at the house where I had everything, drums, bass, yeah, yeah. guitar, piano, everything. And um, I'm, I mean, I made my, my way through college uh, playing in clubs with my guitar and singing while I was studying engineering. <laughs> So uh, it got to a point where I was studying for a test and I would look at my piano and go, okay, 10 minutes. Mm. And then two hours later, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I need to study. Yeah. And it became unbearable. So I finished my third year and I told my parents, no, I'm not going to go back to engineering school. And pff, they freaked out. Because mm. I come from a family that they're all traditional professionals. Okay. And uh, brilliant. I mean, my dad is a, a lawyer and an economist. And um, there was this thing that was created in South America back in the 70s that it was the South American version of the, the European Union. Okay. It was called Pacto Andino. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But uh, my dad was one of the founders. So we had to go to Peru. We lived there for seven years. Um, as I said, before, my dad was a lawyer and an economist. My mom was a lawyer. My sister, a very well-known economist. My other sister is a teacher. My brother is a psychologist. And I'm the black sheep, you know. Mm. I'm quitting engineering school. And I'm going to do something related with music. Yeah. So um, I knew I wasn't going to go back to engineering school. So I said, what's something that can... Uh, connect both worlds for me, the scientific technological world 
and the music world. And at the same time, I knew that because I didn't want to concentrate on one instrument, mm -hmm. I wasn't going to be like an amazing musician because I wanted to play with everything. Sure, sure. So musician was out of the question. So I entered uh, the conservatory back home in Chile to study uh, recording engineering. Wow. And I started from scratch. And uh, four and a half years later, I graduated on a Thursday. And Saturday, I was flying to LA just to find my way. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So that's kind of like my... Your beginnings. Yeah. You also uh, read music, correct? Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, I was... Uh, in a class with Carlos Campos and he said, you know, that, um, you know, you were on staff at the school and he mentioned that one thing that you have as an advantage as a, not just being a producer that plays multiple instruments, but you can read a chart, you know, and, right. and, and be able to tell where a musician or is making a certain mistake or address that certain thing. You know, do you think that's a very important quality for, for a producer? Definitely. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to make people upset. <laughs> But uh, I think that uh, someone that doesn't know music can be a producer. Because uh, if you don't know music, you can relate to a certain point, to the musicians and to the artists and to whoever you're working with. Mm -hmm. Once you pass that, that, that point, there's no common ground. Because you can talk, you know, uh, feelings you can talk colors you know but when you go straight to the point it's all about music yeah you know and yeah. there's harmonic concepts there's melodic concepts right. there's rhythmic concepts that it's a lot easier to 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 explain or to to talk about when you have a common language exactly exactly so yeah yeah i mean you can have a lot of like uh how you call it uh, gut feeling you know like you can you can kind of like like an intuition of intuition, some sort sure uh-huh but it'll bring you to a certain point yeah 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 there's i mean as an engineer <clears throat> i think that that made a difference in my life and uh took me to the next level as an engineer because I was able to read a chart. Mm. Because um, I was working with the Vine Street Horns, who's uh, Phil Collins' horn yeah. section. Mm -hmm. And uh, I became part of the Vine Street Horns. So every time they would call them for a session, um, I would go with them, I would set up, get sounds, and then I would start the recording. So we would start like, okay, First eight bars, let's go, boom. Okay, let's punch in beat three of bars six till, you know, uh, beat one of, of bar eight, for instance. Mm. And it would be punching in and out. And back then it was tape, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, you had to be on. Yeah. So, um, so and then, okay, let's double, boom. So we were working, like, very fast. And then after the first few bars, I would, okay, have the other engineer come and, and, and take over and 80% of the time I would be back on the seat like in no time because you know? <laughs> they, they didn't 
read music. Yeah. So it was impossible to, for them to follow. Can you count for me? You know. <laughs> so it's yeah. you know, it's um. <laughs> I don't want to say names. But <laughs> I remember working with this one of the top, top, top producers in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was working with an engineer, and I was assisting the engineer. We were recording a very famous Brazilian percussionist. And um, it was a huge album. And um, so the producer is telling the, the musician, okay, we're going to come in, bar 45, beat three. And uh, the engineer I was working for, that I was assistant at the time, he didn't read music, he didn't, he didn't know. So I would be happy to, I would stand behind the producer looking at the chart and I would go like, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he would punch in, you know. Wow. After a few times, he would give me the machine, one, okay, you punch in. And I would take over. And I was just starting. Yeah. So, um, so because of that relationship with, with Harry Kane and the Vine Street Horns, um, it got to a point where Phil Collins wanted to go on the road and, uh, with a big band and uh, play his greatest hits and uh, Genesis' greatest hits in big band style. Mm. But he doesn't read music. So he had Harry set up a whole big band session here at a rehearsal studio in LA. And he needed to record it. So Harry called me. I brought my whole studio to the rehearsal room and I recorded everything. And then I um, brought it back home, mixed it, edited, mixed it, and sent Phil a copy with the whole thing and a copy without drums. And uh, there's a documentary where he's working on one of his albums. Um, Into the Light, I think it's the album. Okay. And he receives a dad from, you know, on the documentary. He goes, okay, oh, this is a project that I'm working on, this big band. Let me listen to it. And the guy is like, wow, this sounds like a record. <laughs> and, I mean, a couple of months later, I get a phone call from his office saying, what are you doing this summer? And I said, whatever you guys want. <laughs> yeah. But the reason why I was there was because I was able to read music. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and that, you know, brought yeah. me to the next level. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, what was your, your first major gig uh, as a producer, an engineer? As an engineer, I think Phil's yeah. project was the, the biggest, the first big project. Yeah. And what year was that? 96. 96. Okay, and yeah. then following uh, Phil, what what did you get involved with after that? Because you've done stuff with Gloria, with yeah. Shakira. You know. Yeah, I worked with with Gloria, but uh, on, in back in '89. Okay, uh, mixing. Um, I don't want to lose you. That's yeah. All. And um, but it was they weren't even here, you know. It was then we worked through the years, uh, on and off, but. After Phil, um, the next big project, and it was because of Phil, I think, it was Luis Miguel Romances. Wow. Um, I got called for that gig, and uh, and that was my first Grammy. Wow. 
How was that feeling like? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> because <clears throat> I remember the first time, I mean, when I was living in Chile, my dream was to, you know, make it big yeah. and win a Grammy. But shortly after I got here, I changed. Mm. And that's it. Because I started meeting people, like Grammy winner people, and I'm like, yeah. if, if a Grammy means to be like that, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. So, yeah. and then it came by itself, you know? So it wasn't that I was yeah. working for it. Right, right. And um, to me, I mean, it's great to, to win Grammys and all that, but but it's uh, it's uh, it's not something that that will change your life necessarily. Personally, it's like a recognition. But early on, and I think I told you guys during yeah. classes, early on I learned that you're as good as your last project. Yeah, you know, because uh, you can be doing great projects, working on great projects back to back for years. The first project that you didn't do a good job, everybody knows about it. You know, and then oh no, he's finished. Yeah. You know, and um, I I know a lot of guys that I've worked with throughout the years that they start losing that that edge. You know, and that's I think uh, when you're not that good anymore. When, the, when, for instance, uh, I have friends that are, are older than me, musicians, and they're still current because they're always listening. They're always trying to get the new sound. Right. I have other friends that are even younger than me that they're, like, content with what they have. So their sounds are dated. And, I mean, you're done as as, as, as a creator, as, as, as an artist, as a musician, as, as, a, as a producer, you know, even as an engineer, you know, you're done when you don't have that drive to learn every day. Mm, that's you know? good. There's a, a lot of things that have to kind of like work together in order for you to, yeah. to get it, you know. A very important one is the artist you're working with. Yeah. It's not only because the artist is that big. Because if you're there, you have to deliver. There's there's a thing that the biggest artists they don't ask you, can you do this? They tell you, we need to do this. Mm. When can you have it? Yeah, it's, it's a huge difference, right? <clears throat> yeah, you know, and uh, it's not that they're not being polite or you're there because you're better than what they had in the past yeah because uh they heard what you do and they want to you know get what you can bring to the table so it's not a question of can you do it it's, you know it's like okay we, we want to do this yeah what when can, can you have it done right you know so with phil with gloria with i mean shakira with you know they're all like that you know um and they're I mean, Luis Miguel, for instance, I mean, he he expects, or back then, you know, I, I haven't worked with him in years, but uh, back then he expected the best. And uh, the arranger slash producer back then, so I, 
I was the mixer on that on that project. Okay. My Grammys have been as, as a mixer. Okay, yeah. got it. Um. Uh, it was Bebo Silvetti, who I mean I used to admire. He was a very dear friend of me and my wife, and so um, I respected him so much because he had this special thing that nobody else had. And he knew that he could work alongside me and give with me all that, you know. So that was a responsibility, you know. So there's a lot of things that, that have to happen at the same time for you to be successful in, in, in terms of, you know, Grammys and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you, um, when you go about mixing a record, what are some of the things you try to to look for what do you listen for when you're when you're mixing records uh, as, as far as the instruments are concerned um you know obviously the vocals all these things with these artists what is what is the one thing that you would say you always it's just customary for you to do this first and then you follow this like or do you have a certain uh, format that you follow when you go about mixing well first of all i i analyze the song mm-hmm. um and I try to get an idea of uh, of where where the song is going, yeah. Um, style wise, you know, right. uh, even I mean, sound wise. Yeah. Uh, I produced this album for a Chilean band. It was seven women. It was called Mama Soul. It's like a, like an R and B funk okay. thing. And uh, even though I'm, I mean. Having done all my career here in LA, LA is like pop perfect. You know? <laughs> yeah. Everything tight, you know. This project needed something different. So it's very raw. But it was nominated for a Grammy. Wow. Okay. Know? We didn't win because we were competing against Sim Bandera and they mm. were at the top. Yeah. Back then, so. But um but we approached it like like a raw sound. I mean, you hear the drums are like, they're not tight, you know, they're kind of loose. The groove is there, but it it, it moves, yeah. you know, it's not perfect. But it's what the the song, the song's needed, you know. But so the first thing you listen for is, is where that song wants to go, you know. And um, then, um, to me, the first element that I would attack is the groove. For me, if a song... I mean, first of all, you can have the best artists, the best musicians, you know, the best recorded sounds. But it's if it's not a good song, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So let's say we have a good song. Um, the next thing you need to make sure that it's there is the groove. With no groove, it's like... Yeah. It happens to me that sometimes I've gotten tracks that... Uh, are sloppy and i tend to i mean it's some subconscious but i tend to hide stuff you know interesting yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) because it's not grooving right you know so for me groove is very important yeah you know and then another thing that that for me is very important uh and what i'm i mean my mixes are known for is that uh 
is the 3D image of the mix. Okay. Um, I don't. I I not only work left and right, but depth too, and um, I try to. I mean, you you'll hear everything. You know, I I I find a place for every little element because if it's there, it's yeah, it's there for a reason. Yeah. Right. Right. So so that's what I try to do, and if you close your eyes and you listen to to the mix, you have to feel like if you were the singer and the band surrounding you. That's kind of like the feeling yeah. I, I like to get from a mix. Got it. At Shepherd, when you were teaching there, um, one of the things that you had your students do, I believe, was you know uh, have them mix a song. What what were you looking for when you had them mix a song? Like a, it was, I think it had to be like a two or three minute song from, from us, right? Right. What well, uh, what were you trying to pay attention to when it when it came to that? Balance, because um, what I hear a lot with like students or new engineers, mm -hmm. like with not much experience, is that. Uh, things are fighting with each other, like elements are fighting with each other to be in front. Uh, you can have uh, a, a song with a lot of elements, you know, and everything can sound kind of like in your face without mm -hmm. being in your face. Yeah. You know, have a huge spectrum where you can place things. Right. So um, then, then balances, I mean, for instance, drums. Uh, drums are not kicks, snare, hi hat, toms, cymbals. You know. Drum kit is a kit, so it has to sound like a kit. You know, it's one instrument that has a few different elements. Yeah, but it's one instrument. You know, and it has to be organic, I guess, in in itself. Right. So, uh, same thing. For instance. Uh, Percussion. Um, there's always in percussion. That's a personal view, but I hear dialogue. Like some some elements doing something here. There's another element oh, yeah. doing something here. So you play with that with that dialogue, you know. So if you put everything in the middle, uh, nothing's gonna be clear. But if you start placing things, and it's not like or left or right, yeah. You know, you you have a whole spectrum in this way too, you know. So, I mean, for me, a, a great mix is when you hear it, you close your eyes, as I said, you feel like the the band surrounding you, and then if you hear with headphones, there's things that are like, wow, yeah, wow, exactly, you know, yeah. To me, that's a good mix. Yeah. You know? um, and what I was looking for was kind of like making the students understand that mixing is about balance, um, that not because you have all the plugins in the world. <laughs> you should use them. You, you have to use them. Yeah. You know? Because, uh, I mean, sometimes I, and I, I, I mean, whenever I, because I would mix something and uh, show them, and purposely, I would use the basic plugins from Pro Tools that come with Pro Tools. I would never use something that 
you know, to show them that you can do a great job with, with, with like stock, you know, yeah, stock plugins, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a matter of uh, knowing how to use them, basically, and make and use them for um, the enhancement of the final product. Right. When you work with different artists, uh, let's let's take for example uh, Shakira that expects something from you. you. You know, you said earlier that you are there because you obviously bring something to the table that someone else did not. How, how's the process like working with these with these artists? You know, um, your relationship with them. Are they there when you mix? Um, do they give their own input of what they want to hear? How, how does that work? Um, yeah, for the, for the most part, they're there, you know, um, like Shakira, she's, she's there. She's not, I mean, usually they're not, uh, like on your back. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, no, no, I don't like that. It happens with some artists, like they say, okay, do what you, uh, do what you want. And then you start like experimenting because mixing is also about experimenting, trying things, yeah. going, you know, over the top so you can, you know, then back off. And, exactly. And then they will go like, what are you doing? That doesn't sound good. And it's like, <laughs> you know, but for the most part, they're very respectful and they let you do whatever you want. Sometimes they will go like, wow, that's nice. That's it, you know. But um, it's uh, it's it's it. I mean, they'll tell you what they want. Um, they give you a certain amount of time in the beginning, so you can set up a basic mix, and then you ask for their opinion, and they'll give you their opinion, and from there, yeah, you, you take off, with, yeah, right. yeah, and then they come back, they listen, they give you more comments. So that's it's kind of like a back and forth. Are any of these artists like? Would you say that you you call them friends, or or is it just like you mix the album and then that's yeah, kind of hands off? Or? Yeah, some of them are. So your friends? Yeah, yeah, like with Phil. He's, yeah. he's. I mean, I worked with him the last time back in '98, and he still sends uh, handwritten Christmas cards. You know? Wow! Every time I'm, I'm <laughs> I mean, we're in Europe, and he's there. We're, I mean, we we see each other. Yeah. Well, actually, I worked with him two years ago. I forgot on a live show, but it wasn't a record. Okay, okay. Um, I helped his uh, his nonprofit, you know, his charity that mm -hmm. he has. And he used to have it in Switzerland. And now he moved to Miami with the charity, and I'm not involved anymore. Um, then with Gloria, Stefan, and Emilio, it's like yeah, their family, right? You know? Right. Um, there's, I mean, some people. I mean, Luis Miguel for a while was like, she's been to the house, you know. Right, right. So, what would you say uh, is your greatest accomplishment? My family. <laughs> and why? Why would that be? Because, um, because I think that um, it's what what's going to be with you forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, I made a decision, I mean, talking about Gloria and Emilio, early 90s, let's see, no, early 2000s, mm -hmm. 
both of my kids, Mauricio and Sebastian, were growing up, were little still. But I wasn't around because I was in Miami all the time. And I made the decision to stop going because I didn't want them to grow up without me being yeah. around. Right. And that made a huge difference because with with both of them, I'm, I'm like friends. Yeah. You know, and we hung out. Right. Just, I mean, you know, with, with Mauricio Jr., we're, we're buddies. Yeah. And, um, and the only reason why that is possible is because I put him before work. Um, when I came back to LA, it was like months without work. You know? But, you know, I was also, at that time, uh, I mean, I grew up Catholic, and uh, we became Christians. And uh, so I, I was like buried in my Bible. Reading, reading scripture, reading scripture. So that helped me. I mean, I, and in a way, I didn't want to work because I went to read the Bible. It was my first time, and I was like, yeah. you know, like an enlightenment of some sort. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, and that's been our, our, I mean, the center of our of, of our family life. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's my my biggest accomplishment. No, definitely. definitely. Yeah, that's and awesome. now that they're both. Older, older. They're on their own, doing their own thing. I mean, I can go out again. I've been traveling like crazy the yeah. last three, four years. Man, but yeah, now I can. <laughs> <laughs> now they're growing up. Yeah. <laughs> over the age of eighteen. <laughs> yeah. You said it wasn't a goal of yours to be to to win a Grammy, but was it ever a goal of yours to become known as as a you know someone that does mixing for a living like you know i want to be known and i want it to be something that is credible that people value my work um i i, I guess so um i'm sure i didn't want to be just one more you know you always try to be the best at what you do um i think the the way i looked at it was a very specific example. I was back home. Think, I mean, I told you when I first came here, I wanted to win a Grammy. And there was another thing that I wanted to do because I had heard an album that had blown me away from the the sound uh, perspective. And it was a Fleetwood Mac album. Uh, I don't remember the name of the album, but it came out like in 87. There. And um, I came to LA in 88. And I wanted to get, to be able to, to create a sound like that. So it was a very specific, tight sound that I, I fell in love with. And I said, I want to be able to do that. Mm. So what, what I meant, after years of working, now I understand what I meant. I wanted to create my own sound. You know? And that's, when people start recognizing you and calling you because they want your sound. Right, right. No. It's funny because some, some people see you in a certain way and some other people, like, and that's because you're a musician and you, uh, some people love the way I record. I mean, the first thing was horns. You know? So that's why I got the gig with Phil. But then, because I work with Luis Miguel, vocal. And my wife's a singer. I mean, yeah. you know, vocals, like for instance, Il Volo, 
I produced all the vocals for Il Volon and their latest album. <clears throat> and, and I produced uh, Gloria's vocals, you know? Because somehow I have that uh, empathy, I guess, with right. the artist. <laughs> and I make him feel, feel good and, I, yeah. and I'm able to get the best out of them. So people would say, oh no, he's a vocal engineer. But Beyonce, same thing. Beyonce, I only, I've only recorded vocals with her. But uh, got to a point where she said, you tell me when I'm done. Wow. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then when she, she says goodbye, she, she hugs me and she goes like, this wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for you. And wow. I'm like, come on, you're Beyonce. Yeah. And she was like, no, 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 I'm serious. You know, it's funny because we're doing this takes after take after take. And I'm in my head <clears throat> when I'm doing vocals, I'm like playlisting and I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, I have this part. Okay, I have this part. I need this part. I need this phrase. So I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm quick at it. But every pass was better than the previous, the previous. one. <laughs> so with my wife being a singer, I grab my phone and I, Call her, and I put the phone on the console, and I just left it there. So she's hearing, and they were having lunch with with Mauricio and Sebastian, and they're hearing Beyonce singing over That's and over incredible. and over. And it's like it was too much. <laughs> she's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, but then I mean, I've done so many or orchestra sessions yeah. that people call me because of my sound, my orchestra. Sound, right, right. You know? And now, um, so I remember, the, I mean, the way, because I had done uh, I Don't Want to Lose You, in Emilio's mind, I was a ballad engineer. And then in 99, he called me to mix the three ballads on Gloria's uh, uh, Mi Alma Caribeña. Mm -hmm. um, that was for, that you wasn't that for 2001? It was no, it. It was nineteen ninety nine. Okay, okay. And it came out in two thousand. And then you won the Grammy yeah. in two thousand one, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. And um, so um, I was called, and the rest of the album was already mixed. So I go to mix the three ballads, and then he goes like, "Can you try mixing this song?" And I ended up mixing the remixing the whole album. <laughs> you know, and. Um, so now, some people call me because of my percussion sound. So it's yeah, it's, you know, multiple it's, it, things. Yeah, yeah, but to me, I mean, if I have to say what is my signature sound, is definition. I guess you know everything is defined, and no matter how many elements are in the mix, you can hear everything in very clearly. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What continues to inspire you as a mixing engineer? Doing the records that you have, you know, uh, winning the awards that you have. What what's the one thing that continues to inspire you um, as a mixing engineer, as a musician as well? I mean, I don't know. It's it's. I mean, being able to stay current. So stay like relevant with today's yeah. sound as yeah. well. Okay, yeah. Like uh, that Il Volo album was was a big. Thing because it was, I mean, there are three tenors from Italy and they're singing uh, Latin urban music. Yeah. So it's. Right, right. You know, and to make it sound 
even though I don't do urban music, make it sound so it it can live within that world. You know. So so like when it, let's let's when you're um, um, mixing, let's say a new sound, something you've never covered before. Do you listen to other uh, projects, albums that that cover just that style, just so you kind of have an idea? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's not that I want to copy because that wouldn't be me. Right. Right. I need to. It's basically a research. You know, I listen for vocal sounds, for vocal effects. I listen for low end, for instance, like in the case of urban music. Um. I start analyzing the genre. And then I see the elements that I have. You know. And uh there's another thing that that I agree two hundred percent with Emilio is that never do something that's already been done. You know, and that's why he's so successful. Yeah. Yeah. Always bring the next new thing. And I, I tell Mauricio too, I mean it's like when you come up with something new, you can use uh, elements from your influences, and you can mix them together. You know, try to put something new. So people say, "I think I've heard this, but I can't pinpoint where <laughs> exactly." You know, because it it has some influences from right different people, but it's you. Yeah, that's what uh, John Mayer did. So uh, and you work with John Mayer too, right? No, I no, haven't, you have okay, okay, no, I haven't. okay. No. For some reason, I thought you had, had done at least vocals, but no, no, okay, no, I haven't worked with him. Um, but um, I mean, it's it's to me uh, come up with a new thing that, like, for instance, the 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 single that came out from Il Volo, um, Noche Sin Dia. Mm-hmm. So, with uh, Gente de Zona. If you hear it, it is urban, but it has something that no other urban record has. Yeah. You know? And it's like, wow. Different. Yeah. Yeah. From the production perspective and, I mean, from from the final product, sound, right. everything, mixing, everything. Yeah. It's different. You know? And that's what keeps me kind of like excited about doing it. Yeah. You know? How do we make it different? Because, I mean, talking about John Mayer, somebody comes out, the next John Mayer is the next John Mayer. That's funny. Yeah. It's not the new guy. Right. Right. I mean, every artist that made a difference that hit big is because they they brought something new to, to the picture. Yeah. So it's always like a, a matter of rediscovering of some sort, you know, um, not necessarily because you want to emulate what sounded great, but you want to make it better and make it your own sound. Um, and keep it fresh. Yeah. And current. Yeah. Yeah. Camila Cabello, for instance. Right. You know, it's so simple. Yeah. And she mixed up a few different things. Right. Right. And uh, so, I mean, it was a huge hit. Yeah. Because it's fresh. But it's relatable. It's like I've heard that before. Yeah. I mean that that uh, that progression, you know. Oh, yeah. Havana? Havana. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've heard it so many times. Santana. You know how many right. people that have used that? I mean, Mana. You yeah. Know? 
but she made a difference. That's good. Yeah. yeah so, and it hasn't have to be like, wow, I mean, a huge difference, but an element that nobody else has, and that makes it fresh. Yeah, that's fair. How have you incorporated uh, your faith into doing what you do? How have you? You said that you know when after uh in the i believe in the early 90s or late 90s when uh, mauricio and uh, Sebastian, uh, early early 2000s early 2000s okay <clears throat> you know you you came back home you came to la you, you you became a believer um decisions that you make musically as as an engineer has your faith somewhat um influenced your decisions like i won't do this project because of this oh yeah oh for sure yeah, I mean, there's a few projects where I remember there was a point, and that's, I mean, there was a point where I got called for this project. It was a big band. I mean, not a big band, but a big yeah. band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty well known, and, uh, and they were doing this album, and uh, then they send one of the songs and i'm i'm reading the lyrics and the lyrics were talking about this demigod you know that got drunk on on plum wine it's it's like in in created handicapped people it was a weird thing i mean i read because they're, they're talking about this god yeah yeah and i researched that god and then there was that story so it was hidden. Uh, and I called them and I said, you know, I can't do this. And I said, no, it's the only song that's like that. And I said, yeah, I'll mix the rest of the album, but not, not, not that this song. song. Yeah. And they said, yeah, but, you know, no. I said, no, sorry, I can't. And it, and it was a lot of money and I was out of work. Wow. But, um, oh, and then right after it, there's this lady that came. She needed studio. And uh, she was paying like top dollar for the studio. She wanted to record her audiobook. And she was going to be chanting weird things and everything. And I said, you know what? Yeah. I can't. And I sent her to, to another, a friend of mine that's not a believer. And I said, if you want to do that, it's big money, it's good money. And right. so I, I, I turned it down. Right? And it was, I mean, back to back. These two things. And I was like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> but God's faithful, man. Yeah. Open more doors for you and yeah. bigger doors. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. What advice would you have for up-and-coming uh, engineers, those that want to do their own projects at home? You know, what's, what's grown in the last, you know, I would say 10 years or so is in-home studios. Mm -hmm. You know, people that are producing records and doing their own things at home because they don't want to pay the big bucks, you know, elsewhere. But... What would you say, uh, you know, is your biggest advice to them if they're trying to get their careers going? Well, first of all, um, be musical. Even as an engineer, you have to be musical. If you don't know music, study music. Listen to a lot of music. You know, even if what you're doing is just uh, a beat, you yeah. know. And, and a top liner, listen to music in all genres. Because, I mean, 
people sometimes ask me, well, you studied engineering. It's math or all those things. Have you used it? <laughs> and I say, well, it opened my mind to so many things. Yeah. And, and I can analyze things because of that type of training right. and come up with a better decision. So to listen to music and listen all sorts of different genres is so your, your, your mind grows as a musician right you know as, as uh that's that's the first thing second thing don't do it for money <laughs> that's good because no, if you want to do it for money you're better off working somewhere else yeah um <clears throat> and and the other thing is always learn 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 i mean you will never stop learning yeah you know once you think you you don't have anything else to learn you need to do something else and um, the other thing would be uh, be honest with yourself. You know, I mean, do what makes you feel fulfilled. You know, and with the people that you're working, I mean, I, I've changed environments so many times. Yeah, because I wasn't happy with the people I was working with, and that's scary. And then, I mean, because you're starting basically from scratch. Yeah, yeah. But um, but you need to be uh, comfortable when you're working and not, you know, enjoy what you're doing. That's I think a big big part of yeah being able to do it for forever. What does value mean to you, and how important is that word um, when you think about it? Value, like like value, as in like. Um, you know, when you, your work is worth something to you. Obviously, you have a mm -hmm. certain standard that you uphold when people reach out to you and say, you know, um, for example, I can pay you this amount. And it's significantly lower than what you would charge for a record or, you know, to mix or what, what, what have you. When you think about value, uh, how do you go about that? How do you go about making sure that, that those that, that are, are hiring you for your work are going to get the best from you, but also understand that they also have to give the best to you. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's hard to, to, to negotiate, uh, especially with, I mean, when people look at you from, you know, different perspectives, like, uh, like I got a call from this guy and, and he goes, uh, you know what? I need to. I need to mix an album. I'm not. I don't have a record label. So, when they start uh, giving you that type of story, you're you're kind of like, okay. So, mm. I'm, I mean, first of all, never ever do it for free. You know, unless it's a very special situation. Yeah, or an investment of some sort. Right. And, and, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but sign a paper yeah never do it like i mean i don't know how many times they've told me can we work on the demo and when the the final i mean when they approve and give me the budget we'll do the album and then next thing you know the album is on the shelves and somebody else did it i mean it happened to me many times um <clears throat> so everything in writing first of all that's very that's important. good yeah I mean, everything in writing um even if it's I mean, a hundred bucks a song, whatever. 
in writing, you know, uh, when you don't know the people. And when you when you know the people, yeah, you have to have something like a one page contract, something, you know. So so you cover yourself, and uh, and you don't lose a friendship because of you know misunderstanding. Yeah, right. Um, now you have a certain, and I've been talking. To Mauricio about it, you have a, a range, right? There's a minimum that you think that you can go down to. There's a minimum, and be, I mean, below that, it's not worth your time. You know, I rather recommend somebody else than do it for you know. So I tell them, this is how much I charge. I can go down to this. You know, and uh, and also, for instance, if they ask you for a mix, okay, I'll mix a song for X, and then you have three recalls. You know, so uh, I send you the first one. You give me some comments, send it, more comments, send it, last comments. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they'll go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I work with this this. Korean band, and it's like, yeah, it was ridiculous, it was <laughs> ridiculous. To the point, I said, you know what? Here's the studio. You finish it. Yeah, and I don't want my name on the album. <laughs> That's what I ended up saying. And they spent here like a week. Oh my god! <laughs> the guy said me, okay, point one dB up. Oh my goodness! No, it's too much. It's like, can you hear that? <laughs> you know. And I mean, and it's talking. I mean, you can hear it when it's vocals and stuff like that. You can feel it more than hear it, right? And when you're talking about like a shaker, <laughs> yeah. point one dB down, point three, no, point two. Oh yeah, there, perfect. Okay, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that that's what I do usually. I mean, you have to if if you don't. If you don't charge something that you feel it's fair, they won't respect you. Mm. People rather go for the more expensive stuff because right. they feel more more secure, more yeah. confident than if you tell them, "No, nah, I'll do it for free," or "I'll do it for ten bucks." You know, you have to set a range. Yeah, that's fair. If I work for a record label, this is. I work for a, like an independent label that for an independent artist this or just somebody that just I mean raising funds to do the song this much but that's it yeah Marisha thank you for your time thank My you pleasure, so much man, man. it's awesome to, to learn this is a little new new to me too you know I've mostly been sitting with uh, you know musicians and and and, uh, and artists but this is my first time with the mixing engineer so thank you for for separating some time to do this man. Thanks for checking out episode number nine. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Episode number 10 comes out next week with another Grammy Award winner. I want to say the name, but I'd rather you guys just check it out and let me know what you guys think. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.